Hello, everybody. Welcome to Guys 5 Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelican. Tonight, uh, you are going to be listening to a new concept that we're starting where uh, a few times a year we're going to go ahead and start looking at some movies that have never been on a list before. Uh, we don't necessarily know where they're going to fall on a list and when or ever. So we want to kind of highlight these movies and do deep dives on them, I guess, um, for the lack of a better term. And we've identified a couple movies from the 80s. We're probably going to identify a couple from the 90s and uh, just go ahead and watch them uh, and then talk about them. Uh, so the first one that we've decided to do here is The Lost Boys from 1987, directed by Joel Schumacher. It stars Jason Patrick as Michael Emerson, Corey Haim as Sam Emerson, the younger brother, Diane Wiest as Lucy Emerson, their mother, Bernard Hughes as Grandpa, Edward Herman as Max, Kiefer Sutherland as David, Jamie Gertz as Star, and Corey Feldman and Jameson Newlander as the Frog Brothers, uh, Edgar and Allen. It has a 75% from critics on Rotten Tomato and 85% from audiences. Um, so, Frank, the first thing I want to ask is, how long has it been since you watched this, do you think? Uh, two years, three years. Okay. With, with, within the past, within the, the time of COVID, I have seen The Lost Boys, I think. Yeah, I don't think I've watched it that recently, but it's still been within the past like three or four years, um, definitely for me. I, I think this is something, even when I wasn't watching movies a lot until we started doing this podcast again, I would still like go back like every three years or so and watch The Lost Boys if it was free on Netflix or Prime or something like that, and <clears throat> even if it was just in the background. Um, I'm assuming you saw this fairly not long after it came out right hmm. yeah probably i'd seen it by 89 i would say yeah <clears throat> yeah I, I think similarly i probably saw it when it came out like probably around the time it came out on vhs um did you have a lot of affection for this back then and um has oh, yeah changed? yeah and has it changed at all or do you still kind of have the same nah, i still i still really enjoy this movie every time i see it um this this was one of the first this is one of the first horror movies that from like a, a social perspective you were kind of expected to see. Mm -hmm. um, so I probably saw this movie early middle school, like maybe sixth or seventh grade, I guess. I guess that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe late elementary school, but I don't think I was that young. I think I was in middle school when I saw it. Um, and it was something that was, you know, referenced in, uh, quoted and people would always talk about how awesome lost boys was so um back then i had you know much less discerning taste so i pretty much loved like every horror movie uh but this is one of the ones where i think that as you maybe kind of age past like the most i don't remember like basic thrill that you get from watching horror um you can find more nuance in and is still you know really enjoyable to watch like three different stages of your life yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and this is really before the Corys became really popular. This is part of the rise of the Corys of the 80s. Um, it seems yeah. to me, right? This uh, Goonie, I don't know. I mean, there's all those movies that yeah, the two that of them were either in together or separately, but yeah, yeah. Um, 
but yeah i mean i think this is probably the most famous like together like this and license to drive i would say and then dream a little dream i guess after that um <clears throat> but yeah i i wasn't necessarily like into the quarries or anything like that as a kid but um uh certainly knew of them from this and license to drive so you subscribing to tiger beat i was not no 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 um um so having rewatched it again like what are the things that stand out in your mind that you really want to talk about so one of the things that i find interesting is that you look at the glut of horror um from the 70s like into the 80s and then like all the way through the 80s and a lot of what was popular in horror was a shift away from traditional monsters right like mm -hmm. so many vampire movies and frankenstein movies and whatever like just your traditional horror like through the 70s and then as stuff like texas chainsaw and halloween come out like friday the 13th especially you know studios and directors are moving more away from what you would consider traditional horror so there's some important vampire movies um in the 1980s but most of them still tend to kind of like hew to that idea of the immortal like aristocrat in his cloak and in his coffin and you know yeah so the lost boys that really the, it's the thing i think of is the nosferatu image is a slow creep into the room kind sure. of you know so you've got the hunger and you've got once bitten that come before this um that are kind of like from from an english language perspective because there's stuff from france and italy that have more i don't know like esoteric i guess takes on the vampire myth but those movies you know kind of move away from that into like a modern take on vampires and so in 1987 you get this movie and you get near dark which to me are the two bookends of what was eventually going to become like modern modern vampires in film um they're outsiders they're edgy there's an attractiveness to them that goes beyond like this almost like ethereal beauty of you know like dracula or whatever to people that are still like hip and dress in you know modern clothes and speak in kind of like a modern tongue um and lost boys is the more romantic i think take on that whereas um near dark is the grimy like mm -hmm. serial killer hobo vampire take on it right um but they're really interesting companion pieces to watch together and i think that definitely lost boys much more than near dark because while i think the near dark is an amazing movie i don't think it necessarily had the wide um so like societal impact that lost boys had like lost boys is in my opinion the thing that inspires that boom of like vampire culture um as these like dark sexy yeah you know counterculture outsiders and young um, and yeah. Young. yeah um in the in the 90s and even into the 2000s and through today i mean you know sure. i think a lot of i think a lot of the imagery and the look and the fact that a vampire could almost be like an anti-hero so you know michael is they call him a half vampire um in the movie once he's like semi-turned 
um, by David. But that's the thing is, you know, this like Angel is a prime example of that from, you know, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Spike are these these characters that, you know, have this connection to they're stylish and they're knowledgeable about pop culture and they still have this mystique of being these ancient like evils. I actually think this 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 is gonna sound scattershot because you know we have never like really done a movie like this in a serious way where it's not like a joke like the quick cage or spin chagrin mm-hmm. or whatever. Um I think that when you watch Lost Boys, my opinion is that Max, the um Edward Herman character who's the the head vampire like the the patriarch of this vampire clan he's some kind of like ancient evil that's existed for a long time but i always i feel like david the keeper sutherland character is almost like his like his his lieutenant his like second in command or whatever mm-hmm. and then the other three uh marco and um shit i can't remember like when Dwayne or the other one they're all ones that have been much more recently turned um and i think that's i think that's a really interesting way because ultimately you know i mean it's it's a riff on the actual lost boys from peter pan in the sense of like never having to grow up or whatever but you get much more of like a deep like menace from keith or keifer sutherland in this movie Mm -hmm. whereas the other ones just seem like kind of guys that are just still young and stupid and like fulfilling their fantasies by having this power whereas Kiefer Sutherland seems much more methodical to the point where everyone thinks that Sutherland you know David is the the patriarch of the vampire clan and the one that's like turned all these people and probably because he's the one that turned you know the other members of the clan to be like vampires um but there's a lot of ideas there that then translate through into other other films and other media and I really think one i've never read any articles about it or whatever like analysis but i would say that this is the movie that really has built our modern like view on vampires yes uh, no you're you're absolutely right it's it's a really interesting like uh, interweaving i suppose of a lot of different things so uh in terms of the I'll follow up on a number of things you talked about there so in terms of their age uh their costuming actually is supposed to signify the age in which they're from in a lot of ways um so they were very particular about costuming people about the time and they're wearing things about of that would have been worn the time they were turned um so the costuming was done very deliberately there um which is odd because that look that david has is seems a lot more modern at times than the other ones although some of them so i, I don't know if that helps with age whatsoever but that I, I did read that they took special care in the costuming of of doing that um but in terms of the cultural like kind of relevance of this it's whedon's on record of saying that basically they like without lost boys buffy wouldn't have existed in a lot of ways um and i think you can see it re-watching the movie today like first it's like um and i think i had thought had this thought before but it's like hearing Corey Feldman's talk about like telling Michael not to vamp out um that's the first time I ever heard that verb as a verb before like the idea of vamping out and that becomes just the lexicon of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and 
the character when they created Spike, it was supposed to be Billy Idol and David, apparently, according to Whedon himself, um, <clears throat> that he was mimicked after. Um, oddly enough, David is mimicked after he, he cut his hair without Schumacher knowing. Uh, and um, how he ends up with the mullet is because he, he had like long hair and then he cut it and then they had to like recut it to like make it acceptable to Schumacher. But um, the, the inspiration behind the original look with like the hair, not kind of like that, whatever half buzz cut, but like it's full on top and the mullet, the original effect was actually supposed to look like a professional wrestler with bleach mm. blonde hair, um, which most people think they're probably thinking of Ric Flair. Um <clears throat> is what he was kind of supposed to like originally look like with the hair but he wanted to make Sutherland wanted to make it look more like Billy Idol um and he's kind of like the one that kind of decided to do that so he looked a little bit more modern and current um but yeah so Buffy but there's also a lot of people that have said that a lot of the Schumacher influence actually comes from Anne Rice <laughs> so down to the fact that it's like think about like the character of louis in interview with the vampire and think about um michael in this right and like the recently turned vampire who has reservations and stuff like that and to the point of like you know the 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 blonde hair that the long blonde hair that he wanted the david character to have and how that ties into the stock and um so there there seems to be Anne rice influence which is young sexy vampires on the lost boys through schumacher and then but Anne rice doesn't blow up until you know the the interview with the vampire movie comes out years later um on a on a wider scale i suppose and you know so it looks like it's almost like mimicking but it's like it seems like the young sexy vampire thing probably is more of an Anne rice kind of thing um at least in america and influences lost boys which influences all these other things so really lost boys like on a film anyway or television is the ultimate influence it seems on that culturally um the other thing i want to say about something to follow up on what you were talking about is like how it's changed how, how some things changed in terms of the tropes i noticed in this movie which is like you mentioned to me off air that you don't particularly care for vampire movies often um and Thanks why yeah and why is that exactly i think there's a neckbeard romanticism to vampires that i find off-putting do you um, now now does it tie into this kind of stuff like you know the young sexy vampire type thing or is it more of the kind of old school vampire that you're thinking of i'm fine with it as so I don't know. It's like people that end up like idolizing the Joker or something. You know what I mean? It's mm. you're, like it's like you're missing the point. Like, and you look at so you brought up Anne Rice and Joss Whedon, and I I think where you see a lot of the influence here is in um the Twilight Lady Stephanie. Uh, mm -hmm. I can't remember her last no, name, but it's that it's that looking at something that was initially meant to be a cautionary tale about sexual promiscuity and mm -hmm. um you know trusting like 
trusting people that you don't know that might have bad intentions or whatever or and also explaining like certain diseases that they couldn't explain in the middle ages um to being this romanticized thing where someone wants to be a vampire like where they want to embrace this lifestyle but in reality it's like i don't know it's it just it's it's off-putting to me like you know you know you know people walking around wearing like thick boots and neck bolts and wanting to be frankenstein right like because right, frankenstein right. even though it's a much more sympathetic like character at its core in terms of the creature um it's still a monster you know like people don't want to be the gill man from creature the michael lunas went around but people want to be dracula and it's just that i don't know i mean who am i to judge because whatever like everybody deals with the world in their own way but to me like putting on a cape and biting people in the neck is not not an appealing thing um and i think the movies that romanticize vampires in that manner um tend to not be my favorite movies i guess although sometimes it can work it just depends on the quality do you think this romanticizes vampires by making them that that having that young and sexy image in any way i think that schumacher and i guess richard donner as well um do a really good job here of initially kind of luring you into the idea of the wanton like pleasure of immortality sort of that you get but they're always kind of assholes and they turn them into just monsters like where it's not romanticizing like david isn't an attractive figure by the last third of the movie you know what mm-hmm. i mean like he's a bully and he's a murderer and you know he's just like a menace so that's it's fine if if you still make the villain the villain right Mm -hmm. and ultimately they show vampirism as something that you want to fight against and overcome because it's something that destroys your life i mean probably sort of like semi-allegorical to something like like the aids epidemic at the time or something like that Mm -hmm. in the terms of you know like the things that cause you to become the vampire might seem attractive but the actual um the actual existence of having the condition is um so much worse right like it's not something that's appealing right now you're you're not gonna like this uh, for some reason i think but um so schumacher and and look it's there's a long history to it but it's like i you talked about like nobody wants to be walking around in frank like frankenstein boots and stuff like that i think one of the reasons that sex always comes up in vampire lore is because there is like some sort of eroticism to the entire thing sure, 100%. And, like, and like you know like schumacher went as far to say is that he thinks that it's a metaphor for oral sex like vampirism and that like mm. like literally like it's you know he, he uh, i'm just trying to find it here um because i saw like the other day dracula dresses in dinner clothes quite elegant and he appears the windows of beautiful young women where he systematically sucks the fluid from their body making them his slaves um is how he defines it and we've talked about this a little bit before with um oh i forget the name of the movie already that we talked about from the 70s um with the um lesbian vampires um but uh we just daughters of daughters of darkness is that the one is that it? 
were the vampire lovers like vampire remember. yeah vampire lovers that's it yep um and 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 yeah i mean i i think there's something to it so there's this eroticism um to the whole thing but i i think you're right that they missed like the larger point that like when those kind of things were talked about it wasn't um when, when, when these kind of like myths were created, it was more of a cautionary tale than anything else. And I think it just goes with the changing times to some degree, which makes, God, this, this movie is so, this movie is so much more complex than anybody would ever give it credit for, because it's like, you, you brought up AIDS and it's like, there's so much stuff going into this movie and the time period that it's released and all that stuff that it's like, you could go off on so many tangents. Um, I think about this movie but uh yes to try to keep it just on like kind of like cultural stuff i think that it's really interesting and i think inventive the way that how it changes vampire lore and still tries to hold true to some vampire lore but you're doing it in new and unique ways so one of the things that really appeals to me about the vampires in this is their quickness so like the i like um them flying through the air and coming down and like like ripping people out of their cars and those kind of things i i think that quickness rather than the image of creep you know floating up to a window or like you know creeping into a room i think that really appeals to me and like kind of takes the vampire lore a little bit further of making them fast and um but all the things about inviting in holy water um are still there i think the way they deal with mesmerism is really interesting in this because mesmerism is like you know an obvious part of like the the myth but the fact that it's like just more of the power of suggestion as opposed to mesmerizing somebody and i'm thinking specifically the maggots scene um the maggots and the worms it's like david basically through the power of suggestion makes him think that it's maggots um and like so i think that's really clever in the way they deal with that um in the movie so it's interesting that it's like there are certain things that they i think and and you know more about i think horror and vampires than i do so it's like it feels to me like they take a few steps forward, but they're still holding true to a lot of the tropes of vampire movies a lot of times, right? You got to make it recognizable, right? Right. Like, yeah. You can't have it be a wholly, wholly new thing. But the only... So this is something that, again, bothers me about, and it's more modern vampire movies that it bothers me. Is there's always like, oh, this is a subversion of the genre where this is a whole new take on vampires. And it's like, you know what? Holy water doesn't hurt them. That's it. That's what we're taking out. Mm-hmm. New take on vampires. It's like here, right. it's, it's right. garlic doesn't hurt them. You know, like mm-hmm. that's the thing that doesn't matter. And one of the things that I guess like in effective vampire movies that they do is the idea that they're building on that mythology can just be wrong sometimes that people have created a mythology about a thing they don't understand and that sometimes those theories are going to hit the mark and sometimes they're not and here it's like there's enough of the actual vampire tropes that still exist but done in a like with a modern setting and you know just like the trappings of um 
you know, Southern California or whatever, which I also think an amazing setting to have this is in, you know, one of the sunniest, warmest, like least cloudy places in the world. And this is where your nest of vampires is because mm-hmm. there's so many people drawn there that are transient that it's easy pickings for them. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned the social aspect of these movies. And this is another thing too that so I don't like romantic I don't like the romanticizing of the vampire as something that you should aspire to be. Right. Like mm-hmm. and I think that I think that this is that's where Whedon um because you brought him up that's where he succeeds with both angel and spike because even though there's a mysticism and a coolness to them it still is you know like juxtaposed against the fact that they're miserable people like miserable beings who are living a miserable existence for eternity because they just they can't die like and i guess maybe some people yeah, I mean, definitely romanticize Spike and Angel, but I still think that it's done better in the sense that there's always an element that makes it unappealing or makes them, you know, feel like dangerous or <clears throat> unhinged. Yeah, I, um, look, I mean, Spike, Angel and Spike are, I would argue, are these two characters in this movie. It's Michael, it's it's Michael and David. Um, right, if, if David never dies. Right, exactly, and right, and and if David eventually, like you know, becomes a baby face, you know, I mean, it's it's the same two characters, like sure. you know, um, Spike's quippier and funnier, but that's just kind of Whedon's writing style. But it's like it's the brooding, it's the brooding brunette, you know, and the flashy blonde, um, and it's it's the same archetypes that that he's dealing with. The bro- the brooding brunette, like vampire, is you know and rice through the present day through robert pattison um definitely an archetype i mean and this is the first time i mean can you think of like brooding vampires like so i was trying to think about that where the vampire is the (sighs) anti-hero i mean really like the the it's it's almost never a character that's of like an actual vampire it's usually somebody that's afflicted with partial vampirism um and a lot of that i think comes from and i'd be curious to see um who wrote this movie uh well that's 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 interesting so um it it was actually written initially um by uh somebody who was a grip i think um james uh jeremias and um his friend janice fisher and they actually wrote an initial draft of the script where the boys were actually like like i think michael was 12 and sam was eight and the frog brothers were like eight and everybody was much younger because they were actually basing it off like the lost boys concept and um donner comes in and Ha, uh, brings in jeffrey bohm which uh we talked about him briefly he ended up coming in and writing last crusade he um uh has done like a lot of work over time he wrote inner space we've talked uh, you know talked about stuff there dead zone he wrote he adapted that um so he has a number of things to his credit um that he's done but he comes in and actually like changes and makes it all kind of older 
sexier and that was donner um that wanted that um that jeremiah's guy is on the record as saying that donner told them that he wanted them to be able to he wanted them old enough to drive and jeremiah said that he knew when he said that that he meant old enough to fuck um and that was donner's decision to make them older so that there could be some sort of like romantic stuff like you know with the with the older brother right and um so they bring him bohm to rewrite that and then um him and schumacher work closely but patrick apparently he was the first one brought in and would only come in if he could make changes to the script and have a lot more control over the movie so a lot of like some of the hipness and stuff like that is actually a lot of jason patrick yeah um that gets added to the movie and it's the only way he would come in so patrick it's it's really uh it's hard to tell because it's all anecdotal now but patrick had a lot of control over this movie like both in the script process at the at the later stages of it and during the actual filmmaking process that's interesting i wonder too if um so you look at the characters of the lost boys and we talked about like the way they dress and just characterization 1987 you're sort of coming into this era where it's like the beginning of the extreme sports era in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um bmx skateboarding that kind of stuff um all these guys drive motorcycles now i wonder if there's an element of that to it as well where like mm. they're making the vampires something that would be kind of like frightening or make an adult of the time uncomfortable you know they have like the the clothing of you know glam metal band the look of like you know white snake or whatever but they're there on their harley or their motorcycles and they're just these like an allegory for like youth gone wild or whatever you Mm -hmm. want to call it where they're um sure you know like wearing outlandish clothes and doing dangerous stunts, you know, hanging under the bridge and dropping into the the chasm below sure, or men- menacing the carousel, like you know, yeah. and getting and 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 the security guards obviously kicked them out many times, according to the dialogue. Um, you know, even Max like talks about them kind of being like, I can't remember what term he uses, what noun, but it's like about kind of being punks, you know, um, yeah. you know, so yeah i um yeah it's it's interesting the way that they're portrayed here and i i think it's the first time i've ever seen anything like that to a large degree yeah again the hunger is much more like gothic romance in terms of its presentation but still like a modern take on on vampires and then um once bitten is more comedic but still again like more of a modern look at um vampires but for the most part vampires are just you know even even fright night which is a very like modern look at vampire hunting still portrays um whatever his name is the head the main vampire is being like this creepy coffin dweller that has to mm-hmm. like stay in the dark of you know this this giant house um the fact that they live in this like underground bunker like collapsed mm-hmm. resort or whatever is is cool and they have you know jim morrison so they've been around for at least right 20 years or whatever like because that's their idol is you know had this picture of morrison and i don't know 
I think that there's a lot of stuff here again that you can I don't know how you can argue that this isn't like the genesis point of even beyond Anne Rice because I still think that with Anne Rice's like innovations to the idea of the vampire that there's still like the traditional elegant clothing bodice bodice ripping Mm -hmm. you know gothic sure like sad boys or whatever whereas these guys are living life and like embracing danger and you know relishing their power in a way that's like open and it it, that's the menace of david and the other boys is that they're not slinking about the shadows and waiting to pick somebody off you know they're brazenly walking the boardwalk at night Mm -hmm. in full view of everyone where anyone can see you know them interacting with other people and then sure so and then riding their motorcycles which draws attention to them right so sure of their own power that they don't even care like they're willing to you know like they they know that when they descend on the surf nazis or whatever partying on that beach that um that they're just going to wipe them all out like there's not going to be any survivors that'll be able to or that anyone will believe them Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing, too, that's kind of, I think, ingenious about the Lost Boys is that even though there are modern vampire movies, like, and you, you've watched one recently in um, a movie that we're going to talk about that, you know, is in our 70s, um, mm-hmm. 70s horror series. Dracula in, in London is still just Dracula, you know, mm-hmm. even though, like, they may put up the trappings of the modern business that kind of hides him he still is it's just him it's still this you know he's still count dracula like these dudes are basically everything that middle america is afraid of at the time you know they're sexually promiscuous Mm -hmm. they're into heavy metal they're into doing dangerous things they're homeless you know they're young and attractive so they can woo like children to their side or make people want to come and you know go along with them like there's a lot of stuff about the lost boys themselves like that group of vampires that i think is very very much meant to elicit a different response depending on your demographic (laughs) and where you live in the country at the time that this movie was made right i agree okay there's two different things that i want to say like in response to everything you were just talking about is first of all question for you I, I i gather yes the lost boys is like are the vampires like that group kind of like led by david because it's a reference to the idea of like young young people never aging like but it's like do you think that it's like the idea is like that it goes beyond that that like because i think that one of the genius parts of the movie perhaps is that like yes that's the reference but it's like aren't michael and sam like lost boys like in their own ways and then aren't the frog brothers also like lost boys in their own ways like in in if you look at the social kind of like you know construct of those characters like you know one they're physically displaced michael and sam like you know like they're like literally like lost in their lives like you know following the divorce and stuff like that the frog brothers are kind of like lost in the sense of like not because they're vampires but because they're like it's like it's almost like a rest of development type thing where like they can't like age out of 
their comic books even though they're 13 14 years old like you know and stuff like that like that they're believing that the comic book stuff is real it is and that's the joke i get it like you know but um but like you know they're 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 still like hyper into that stuff and thinking it's real um, actually so can i can yeah, i just interject yeah, yeah. there really quick yeah i actually view the frog brothers to be the exact opposite of that yeah i think the frog brothers are boys that have had to age well beyond their years in terms of responsibility and maturity but are still children so still cling to the trappings of being a child mm. so even though you know they carry weapons and they fashion stakes out of like whatever like wooden sticks and you know they know what they need to do like they still get scared when they're confronted with the vampire and it doesn't go exactly how they want it and they still you know again like they still are surrounded by comics and these trappings of childhood because they're still children they just have this immense honestly like self-imposed responsibility that makes them have to yeah maybe it's the it is the maybe it is the opposite of what i was trying to say in terms of rest development it's like it's almost like they're trying to be too adult yeah a lot of times is, is really in, what it is but in doing so they're aping you know john rambo like they're not right right and th and that's what i mean by the like the lost aspect of them is that they're like they're lost in it was, it's very much a gen x thing it's like that they turn to art and they like mimic the things out of art a lot of times sure. well they're all latchkey children like right. all four of those people right and you get the impression star and laddie as well um we're in the yeah. same position um you know star the female um romantic interest of michael and uh, david and laddie who's the it's really interesting that so you know again this and near dark come out in the same year mm -hmm. you don't really have a whole lot of child vampires that i can think of prior to this um just claudia it, but that's only in terms of it, like fiction sure, it's not sure. not i'm just i'm just looking at film yeah both laddie and um i can't remember what his name is in a uh, near dark yeah, i can't remember um both of them are very similar in appearance similar haircuts similar you know frames or whatever um i just I, I don't know i mean i i imagine that those two productions happen independent of each other and probably without much knowledge or maybe not much knowledge that the other existed but it's just interesting that like that's kind of the look that's adopted there is is very similar yeah um no. but anyway yeah so you know, keep going i'm sorry didn't mean to okay so th the second thing i wanted to bring up is this idea that um is, is is what you brought up about middle america and because you could you could look at this movie and see it as this kind of just and just see it as a cautionary tale i think for you know this is what happens when you try to like you know like move away it's it's the diane it's lucy's argument almost like you know it's like if you move away from your family too much and like start doing these other things and staying out late at night and waking up in the middle of the day and you know kind of deny your family and don't talk to them as much that you're going to end up in a bad place right um that's a very easy read of this but i think it's a much more complex than that because sure. if you're looking at a middle like the middle america uh, for the lack of a better phrase look at this movie a lot of these things are not very reagan ideas like you know the nuclear family is not represented in this necessarily um 
it's like you find out very quickly that Lucy has just been divorced. So it's a single mom that you don't often see during this time period. Think about 80s movies where you see a single mom. Um, doesn't really happen. And so you have a single mom um, who's like on the dating scene, like like where and has to work where two boys are at home and kind of getting in the shenanigans. Grandpa, who's not the most like necessarily uh, warm figure like in the entire movie doesn't necessarily act as like a like a, a natural patriarch in any way he's a, cra- um, he's a crazy drunk lothario right 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 um and like but and like you have this idea of family like the the, the closest you have the family is max like even though it's hidden most of the time um in fact max is trying to create a nuclear family right um you know uh what is it the blood-sucking brady bunch or whatever like he's trying to create this um which is a perversion like to some degree and um but you do get the sense at the end of this movie that there is going to be this family develops but it's like it's not it's not the nuclear family what you end up with at the end of this movie is the idea that Michael and Star are going to be together raising Laddie in this kind of makeshift family and the Frog Brothers might actually have some hope in their lives because they'll have a positive place to go to and a positive influence in their lives now um, being these latchkey kids because they're going to be friends with Sam and Lucy's a positive you know um, you know figure in everybody's lives obviously and I I think that it's like you end up with this kind of, you know, fucked up created family, which is which is really positive for everyone involved. But that's not a concept that you actually see until the past like five years when you start looking at stuff like five to 10 years, I would say, where you start seeing this idea of like how family is the people you choose rather than the people that you grew up with. You start seeing that a lot in the past 10 years especially in these things involving familial trauma that we've talked about um throughout the course of the past three years like this feels like a really early rejection to me of like those reagan ideals of like you know the mother father and the two kids and the white picket fence and all those kind of things i mean for as as much as you see that in the 80s I, i i think there's a lot of movies that actually sort of follow suit in terms of how they portray families um karate kids a good example goonies is a good example um just right off the top of my head of like really popular movies the explorers is another one um the boy who could fly right like all of those movies have um a family that's in some way been broken apart or changed due to death or divorce or whatever financial ruin in terms of the goonies um and people forming their own family units as a result just based on the people that they come to care about you know usually through like grand adventure or what the fuck ever but right um i i actually think that's a i think that's a i, I don't know if it's a rejection of of reaganomics in like that era or it's just a reflection of what the world was actually becoming like in that time i mean i remember seeing my, my mom watched donahue every day mm-hmm. and donahue scared the shit out of me like all the time because i was going to get kidnapped and molested and murdered right. by satanists and 
my parents were going to get divorced but i remember stuff like um i remember watching like growing pains and uh family ties and all those shows dealt with episodes where they talked about sort of the disintegration of the american family unit even stuff like growing pains which was sort of supposed to be a celebration of um the nuclear family in america family ties well yeah had episodes where yeah family ties true but i'm i'm I'm, i I focus on growing pains because i feel like growing pains was like a very moralistic show in a lot of ways oh sure um but they had episodes where they talked about divorce and families splitting up and Mm -hmm. um i i think hollywood is always going to be a hyperbolized reaction to a coming trend in society where like hollywood will show you a ridiculously overinflated version of something before the thing actually becomes acceptable in the modern world if that makes sense Mm -hmm. um but also there's you know there's the diane weist is criticizing michael for being out all night and is never home to spend time with her kids you know what i mean like under the auspices that she has to work and sure i mean whatever but she creates the situation where they can become latchkey kids and get involved in this incredibly dangerous world that she's oblivious to so again you know just a you know a fictionalized exaggeration of something that was actually a big I think a big part of like the late 80s in terms of the way the children grew up sure that's why i can't stand those fucking facebook memes it's like the street lights were my curfew and eat dirt and drink out of a water hose and fucking ice cream cone or whatever and it's like like asshole like you know i mean things you can't compare different eras and think that you know you can make like these oh i was so much tougher than you because i did this well you also had much less to deal with and were much right. more protected sure and your mother would never leave your father when he beat her because it was just expected that these families yeah. would stay together and right. it's like i think lost boys is just a really and I, again like i named some other movies and there's like a core group of movies from the mid 80s that are a really good reflection through different genres of the changing dynamic of you know family and societal acceptance or whatever so well what's interesting is all those movies you mentioned are movies that i watched a lot as a kid which is just personally interesting to me and movies that i liked a lot um oh uh, out of the ones you mentioned there which i hadn't really thought about before but <clears throat> So I want to talk a little bit of, we've talked a lot about like the ideas of this movie and stuff like that. I want to talk about the movie itself now. So I want to start with the beginning. And I want to start, I want to turn it to you because I want you to talk about the music of this because you're much more musically inclined than me. But it starts with Cry Little Sister, and I want to turn it over to you to talk about what you think about just the music in general about this. So it's interesting you say that because it doesn't technically start with Cry Little Sister. It starts with a line from it. It it starts with an extrapolation from Cry Little Sister Mm. in the sense of using the like the underscore of that song of the Mm -hmm. the children's choir singing the thou shalt not 
right live that right. shall not mm -hmm. fall whatever <clears throat> they build up to actually using cry little sister as a song intermittently throughout that movie to the point where like you hear like that music and you hear the under and then when they actually start doing the i can't remember what scene exactly you actually get the cry little sister is it the sex scene it might be yeah mm -hmm. i think that's right so i actually think that's really brilliant the way that they slowly structure that song through it and it's always very ethereal and there's a lot of menace to it mm -hmm. so when you're flying over um yeah it's a couple with those images santa right? santa clara's uh, bay or whatever mm -hmm. and you're hearing like just that's the synths and the disembodied like child's chorus there's so much like atmosphere and ambiance that happens there that you're already tense about what's going to happen just because of the way that they they set that music up and build it and then when you finally get to the you know like pardon the pun with the climax of that where the song all comes together mm -hmm. you know i it's it's really like a powerful moment to um to like fully introduce that song to you especially because if you're seeing this movie in 87 whatever i mean i didn't know the cry little sister was a song or whatever i don't think i ever right. saw it on mtv but like sure. like i love that song because of how much they just like subtly built you know the using it using pieces of the the music portion of it i, I can't think of what to call that throughout and then like building to that point like it's just like super impactful mm -hmm. um it's also an interesting thing because i think it's a really good i don't know if this is a soundtrack that i would want to sit down and like listen to the soundtrack but i think the balance of modern music combined with like 50s music um and the fact that it's sam that is usually the one that's like like when he's in the bathtub when um mm -hmm. uh, i can't remember the name of their dog thor or whatever um attacks uh michael singing like some 50s like doo-wop song or something and i don't know like, the the use of people are strange as they're um driving into town with like the cuts between different like actual people on the boardwalk and in the city um just really great use of the music to set the tone of the movie and not just be and that's really the whole point of a soundtrack right is to like use a song you recognize or whatever to drive home the point of a scene um mm -hmm. but i think this movie does it really well and has one of the most iconic musical performances in any movie of the mm -hmm. 80s yes in um i can never remember that dude's name um the sax guy yeah yeah singing uh fuck i still believe and I still believe, and then like playing the saxophone with Tim, the super Tim pants Capello. Is yeah, name. Tim Capello. Yeah, um, shirtless mullet. Mm -hmm. The crowd going crazy. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's the innocent beauty of the '80s is the idea that, like, as a 12 year old kid, I was like, yeah, like I, that 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 concert's awesome. And then you watch it today, and it's just <laughs> so goofy and ridiculous. But right, right. Well, you got the fire. It's like it, it's um, 
god it's like a fury road almost like it's just it's absurd um now <laughs> like nowadays like it's absurd but um but yeah he's got the chain the chain necklace around his neck and he's shirtless with the abs and he's right. got like chains around his wrists and he's got the sacks and the fires are all around him on the stage i mean it's um but yeah one of the most iconic like really not very long like brief musical performances in any 80s movie um is that like that guy's got like fan clubs on facebook like to this day like based off of that right um i I remember seeing an article years ago where it's like he didn't really understand like how how much he was idolized and like revered for all of that like he really like didn't have like a full idea of like the popularity of that scene um which was really just heartwarming to see because it was so innocent um it's funny because in a lot of ways our generation i think specifically because we were growing up and look i have a very solid nuclear family like my mom sacrificed career to stay home and raise me and my brother and my mom and dad and i'll say dinner together every night so this is not necessarily my experience, but definitely plenty of people I knew, and I'm sure you can speak to this as well, where you're just kind of like entertaining yourself a lot of the time. And even after my brother was born, I was kind of left to my own devices because it was just like, who had time to, you know, coddle 12-year-old Frank while they're raising, you know, four-year-old Tony, but yeah, like yeah, just sitting there, no, like no. all of us have this shared cultural experience of things like watching the Lost Boys, you know what I mean? Yeah. And seeing that guy dancing and then like a couple you know like at lunch the next day like you talk about it and like you laugh and then 10 years later you know whatever you're end of high school beginning of college and like somebody makes a joke about the saxophone guy and lost boys and everybody laughs and um there's a lot of stuff like that that i i think because so many experiences now are shared virtually because of youtube and facebook and instagram and whatever where we're all watching the same things at the same time and commenting on them together that i think we've kind of maybe not lost like the the feeling of like tribalism that comes from that kind of thing where like you've discovered it on your own and then you find that somebody else has discovered it on their own and it kind of builds a bond you know like i don't know that any of us are ever going to bond over those two spider-man pointing at each other meme. you know what i mean right yeah or you have something you know like what happened at the oscars this year um which again like we've said we're not going to talk about but you know something like that 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 has this that hits this like crescendo in a matter of like hours of it occurring Mm -hmm. and then is immediately just overexposed and you know will be will fade will we'll fade into oblivion a lot quicker than something that you know over decades of our lives we've come to come to appreciate sure and to your point so something i was thinking about today to your point very brief i noticed how like you know actually like a lot of like national media sites mentions um scott hall's death this week um uh the day that he died um within a day or two 24 hours um, a lot of websites that I go to that are news related like mentioned his death and then it's like you know and I was like that's really weird like you know like unless you're really into wrestling like like I know that there's a whole generation of us that like you know like 
we're either really into it at one time and are lapsed or whatever but it's like like most people the average person doesn't know who razor ramon is or scott hall or anything like that like if you like ask them it's like they know hulk hogan they know the rock right mm. you know i mean most of they look they 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 oh yeah that guy like uh, most people don't know i would i would argue that most people our age would know who razor ramon is yeah i don't know man like i i, I think that like we end up in circles of like you know people that know that kind of stuff like somehow like i don't think most people know that um and it doesn't matter because it's like it's professional wrestling and like often ultimately in like the history books like we made i i made a brief case this past week um uh, for him like in the history books but it's like ultimately it's like it's going to be those big names that like stay in the cultural consciousness like it's not going to be necessarily scott hall um among a massive amount of people but it's like why did he get mentioned like when like so many wrestlers like die and like never get mentioned like you know on news sites like back in the day um it's because like it's everything's fleeting everything's temporary to your point it's like well yeah of course he can get mentioned because that article will be up on cnn for two hours and then we'll move on to the next thing because there's so much going on and people like, you know, may see or may not, but it's like, you just have to have content now. Like, so it's just like the, the, the news cycle, it's like, we used to talk about 20 years ago, the 24 hour news cycle is going to like, you know, change the world or whatever. Like, and it has, but it's like a one hour news cycle. Now it's like, to your point, like the Will Smith thing, he resigned from the Academy today. Do you know how quickly this is going to end? Like, now that he's resigned and then and the investigation isn't going to be pertinent like well it's going to be right so here's what's going to happen is that people with really bad senses of humor are still going to make jokes about it for another week and then sometime in the summer towards the fall there's going to be some special with some interviewer where they sit down and talk to will smith and jada pinkett and maybe chris rock is involved somehow and that's your feel-good reconciliation moment. And then right. no one... No one cares. ...is going to think about it until people start making jokes It's next right. March when the Oscars come up again. Uh, yeah, except for that. And then it's like, you know, and, and it will culturally become like, you know, I'm going to let you finish. Like, you know, right. like it's going to become that joke, right? And where it just becomes part of the consciousness. And, but it can only happen when things that big happen. But like to your point, it's like these movies of the 80s because of like, you know, all of us sitting like largely like isolated and alone, like in our houses a lot of times, you know, like watching these things. It's like there's so many like little things in movies that we all have the same memory of. Like, right. you know, um, there is no Dana. There is only Zool. Like, you know, like everybody knew there is only Zool at some point. Sure. In our in our childhood. There's so many things like that. Um, and yeah, the sax guy is one of those things. Like, because he stands out so noticeably in that movie. Like, you right now, you can imagine exactly how he looks and how he shakes his hips on that stage as he's playing that fucking saxophone like you know and it's like do you realize how many people of our generation just have that image burned into their brain like it's it's amazing and it's like you know yes that is lost nowadays 
you know what's funny though is that if you would have if, if you would ask me at any point when i haven't seen the lost boys for a few years what song is playing there i would tell you it was cry little sister hmm. that's interesting because like that song it i i there again i think it's just brilliant the way that they use the music in this movie and particularly that song it's like because it's the opening like din, 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 like thing gets played a number of times during scene transitions and they have the I, I think there's at least three instances where they have the 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 kids chorus like saying the thou shalt not parts um but it's just because it like just worms its way into your brain you mm-hmm. know what i mean and like you just associate that song with that movie so much yeah you know i tell you i tried to make a t-shirt once through custom ink yeah. um yes. that was a picture of uh Kiefer sutherland's face with like thou shalt not whatever like the yes. different lines from it uh-huh. and i got like multiple copyright strikes and told that they would not they would yes. not make, yes. make make me my fucking t-shirt. i don't think you've ever told that on the podcast before but yes you have i remember David, that friend of the podcast dave Bescent was supposed to make me that t-shirt and that fuck never did so yeah no big big failure um so the only other thing i want to mention like in terms of the music in this is the fight preparation score um which is just called preparations if anybody wants to look it up but i'll just play like a little bit so you know what i'm talking about because like this is iconic frank is This, this is when they're like gathering up the holy water and everything yeah and it's like i can hear that music in my head during that montage of the, like them getting the holy water preparing the house and all those kind of things i think that's a i, I think that's another thing that like at least for me sticks in my head about the music in this obviously it's sax guy and cry little sister the big things that's the other part of this movie is that montage um where they're preparing for the big battle at the end and that music playing in the background um it's ex expertly cut to to that music when you go back and look at it of them like riding the bikes like to the church and stuff like that and it like fits perfectly with the music uh really good um really good score for that particular scene um you mentioned like the idea of like the Santa Clara, which obviously is a stand-in for Santa Cruz. Like Santa Cruz wanted nothing to do with this movie whatsoever, even though it's obviously supposed to be Santa Cruz. Uh, they were, they like told him they need to change the name, and it was filmed in Santa Cruz. Um, but like so, Santa Clara, like I think one of the one of the brilliant things about this uh, ties into both. I think one of the things I want to talk about, which is the initial opening of this, which is setting the whole thing in the boardwalk the scene with david and the lost boys like walking around the carousel and then the i think one like the greatest to me like vampire scenes at least when i was a kid and i still like really enjoy it a lot is when the um the security guard is going out to his car after he's like kicked them off the boardwalk and he's isolated and he goes out to his car and they swoop down and pull him away and he's holding onto the door and the force in which they swoop down and pull him up in the air while he has his hand on the door that rips the door off the hinges of the car and 
it's just like everything when I watch that scene, just the angle in which, like, I guess they have him like hooked to, you know, like some sort of ropes or, you know, like something like that. Like the angle in which he goes up is so unnatural. And the fact that the car door gets ripped away with him, yeah. like as a kid, like it's it's one of the images of this movie that it's like really stuck with me is that image of that security guard getting ripped up into the air. And I think it establishes a menace right away and like a very dangerous thing of how quick it all is. Right. Um, well, it's interesting too, because again, like classical vampires are maybe strong, but they fly by turning into like bats, you know, like Dracula is a teeny little bat. Like he's not like a, right giant like pterodactyl basically and like these guys are again they're they're the lost boys they're you know these never aging like beings that can fly and and i had read i read an article once that um the production design was meant to make the vampires look equal parts demonic and angelic yes like they were meant to look um like menacing but also with this air of almost like i don't know an, an evanescence or whatever around them um well you can see the lighting that's put on them yeah mm-hmm. yeah because they're always filmed like typically from like a downward upward facing angle with the light like pouring on top of them so it mm-hmm. like highlights their cheekbones with like golden mm-hmm. glow and whatever right um and I think that's part of like the coolness of the way that it's done is that they do have this feeling of being like these otherworldly beings, like not mm-hmm. just yes, like I don't know, sexy tuxedo man, but like these creatures that can just swoop in and juxtaposed by the fact that you never see them until towards the end of the movie in that state where they are like vamped out as you said right um and it's just really cool like schumacher shows so much restraint in that movie i don't know if that's a function of budget or whatever but so much restraint in building the vampire up to be a menacing like otherworldly creature that can only be beaten basically by um luck and the fact that michael happens to somehow be like this powerful vampire from drinking david's blood or whatever or like pseudo vampire half vampire dompier whatever you want to call it um well talking about the way they're filmed too one of the things i found interesting i've always found it interesting but i don't know if i've ever been able to verbalize and um brandy because she saw me watching this uh my wife brandy uh ended up watching it um as well like separately but uh, and we were talking about this is that the the fact that like at the end of this movie when after david has been killed because one of the things they do i realize like with david is they start he starts growing like a five o'clock shadow throughout the movie like when you first see him on the boardwalk he's pretty clean shaven and like throughout like he just kind of like grows stubble throughout which makes him seem older and makes him age. So by the point, and you've gotten so used to it by a certain point in the way they film him that by the time he's killed, 
that when Max goes over to look at him and you see that kind of angelic light coming out of him at the death scene um, and you see his face kind of go back to completely clean shaven and he looks young and by the time like Max goes over and like looks at him he's completely clean shaven he's like and he looks youthful again and it's like it what it does is it highlights the idea that there was, was an innocence at one point behind these people and I think it's this like stroke of brilliance where it's like they make him so menacing and an increasing menace throughout the entire movie but it's like once he's dead he goes back to being this young what what he was in originally right. which was this like young teen and um but it like makes you a little bit like you know in max's max being so upset makes you sympathize a little bit with max and with the the lost boys themselves like you know that it's like this wasn't always things that they asked for necessarily it's something that happened to them um despite them being the danger and the evil like you know in the movie like obviously but um so so it it just it just puts these little question marks on things that um i think is really uh nuanced and brilliant like in a lot of ways but anyway so the establishing the boardwalk the danger at the beginning with the quickness of the vampires all that kind of stuff and then moving to people are strange like the echo and the Bunnyman cover um and like that whole establishment sequence with them driving in the car and like what it does is like that whole scene built shows that there's a camaraderie between parent and child and then there's a camaraderie between the brothers it you know all through the idea of changing the radio stations all those kind of things you get like right. the, the fact that they're moving to a new city that she's divorced and then you get the montage to people who are strange with like all of the you know quote unquote freaks you know and addicts and like all these things that are like living in santa clara um i think it's a really great like opening what six minutes you would just say seven minutes where it's like you establish like the the vampiric threat the boardwalk of where they're moving to like the characters and the bond between mother and children between brothers um the setting itself of being this kind of like hive of scum and villainy kind of they're trying to portray um of like you know broken people and lost people i suppose and then giving exposition it's a really underrated opening sequence i think yeah i mean it's just it's just good filmmaking you know? yeah it's like, yeah i think i don't know well it's like i've always talked about raiders being like you know if i was going to teach a class on how to start a movie it's like raiders like does all these like great things this is a movie that does a lot of great things in like really quick time in like seven minutes like to start a movie and okay so completely agreed Mm -hmm. and i want to use this to drive home a point that i've been making for the past three years whenever we talk about horror movies on the podcast is Mm -hmm. that if this movie was not a horror movie but was still I think I think people enjoy this movie. I think people appreciate this movie. Right. I don't necessarily think Lost Boys is underrated, but I think Lost Boys is not rated properly just because it is a horror movie. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think genre films are always going to carry that stigma that like, well, I think it, especially at this time, 
I, maybe it's changing today because definitely like well, Ari Aster and very quick to your point at the time top critics 47 percent the overall critic score right now is 75 percent yeah and that, again it's because oh it's a vampire movie oh it's yeah. a it's it's a trifle for children mm-hmm. that's not worth my consideration because I want to watch Kramer versus Kramer for the 50th fucking time <laughs> with my douchebag fucking critic ass um yeah, it's it's brilliantly directed. It's got some really good performances. It's a really interesting take on a dusty, you know, dusty trope in terms of the vampire. And again, hugely influential, I believe, truly believe in modern, you know, especially Twilight, Buffy, Angel. Um, I think that the uh, interview with the vampire, I think, pulled a lot of cues visually from the way that Schumacher directed this movie and the way that the characters were costumed and portrayed. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's, um, it's a lot of fun and it's definitely, definitely a movie that I like going back to um, time and time again. Um, I don't know if I like the lost boys as much as you like it, because you really like the lost boys, but uh, one of my favorite vampire movies of all time, definitely one of the best vampire movies of all time, in my opinion, and one of the better horror movies of the eighties, like mainstream hearts. So yeah um yeah i the last thing i'll say is i just think it's one of the more quotable movies from the 1980s like when you if you actually go look up like just lost boys quotes and just scroll through them this movie is like has dialogue that just pops out that pops out to you constantly um it's like there's really little things like things that you don't even think about like so there's um like very little things like what is it uh lucy you're the you're the only woman that i ever knew that didn't improve her situation by getting divorced um that grandpa says to her in this like kind of like like the only tender grandpa moment like maybe in the entire thing um to the point of like the ending line of the movie with grandpa where it's like you know um thing i've always hated about santa carla is like all the damn vampires yeah um you know and there's so much funny dialogue from Corey Haim in this movie and i think it's this brilliant balance of this kind of like slightly like you know precocious kid like younger brother who is kind of witty and like has all these kind of like funny things that he can say to kind of move away from his anxiety and michael who is the more like the older brother and the more brooding one naturally and is even more brooding when he comes to half vampire michael's the thing that kind of like propels like the actual story and the danger of all of this while Corey haim i think really well for his age can sit here and like kind of like be like the the funny guy who has all these lines like you know um it's not like getting the d michael like you know um in class like and has all these like really funny things that he can say to kind of break the tension in this movie and that's the only place where the comedy really comes in i think is a lot of times with his lines but don't you think that he's what's what's the term they use for xander and buffy the zeppo right yep i mean isn't that him like Corey haim is just you just your proxy in this movie right he's a guy with no real agency of his own that's Mm -hmm. firmly planted in the real world and thrown into this world where 
you know, he's not get, not getting all hot and bothered for the smoky-eyed brunette at the carnival. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's just trying to enjoy himself. Right. And ends up getting his whole life fucked up and almost dying and having these crazy, you know, Rambo wannabes, like, trying to get him to read vampire comics. But really, he just wants to take a bubble bath and play with his dog. <laughs> and it's like, right. Yeah. Yeah. The other That's... thing I find funny, too, is I, there's there's certain plot elements that are just implied in this movie and never ever ever mentioned like outright like the fact that Corey Haim is leaving a place where he was probably a really popular kid in school Mm -hmm. because he had cutting edge fashion and was well kept and dressed nice and is now like but they never do the the trope of showing him like being bullied in the new school or not being able to make friends like he's just he's self-confident he's self-assured you know he's not intimidated by the frog brothers or whatever Mm -hmm. um just a dude that likes comics although let me tell you um cringeworthy dialogue when he's in the comic book shop and he's like you can't put the superman 30s with the superman (laughs) because green kryptonite hasn't even been discovered yet it's like buddy like that's really 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 bad writing in that case so (laughs) right It, it feels like a screenwriter that doesn't actually know comic books and just like look something up or something and try to like fit something in um the frog brothers got some bad fucking comic shelving too let me tell you like their their shit is all over the place doesn't make any sense well you know what i don't think we can talk about this movie without bringing this up and this isn't my sad depressing shit but it's like um i don't know how much you know about the production of this movie but this is where like this this movie is known in hollywood for other things as well and this is the party lifestyle during the filming of this movie for the three weeks that it was filmed is is kind of notorious um largely led by Kiefer sutherland who was you know a party boy at that point um in hollywood they were all in the same hotel and while they had chaperones they weren't the greatest chaperones in the world and Corey Feldman has like been interviewed to say this is the first time that he ever did cocaine and when he has to come deliver dialogue on the set one day he's unable to actually function and perform because of coming down from coke and like this is also like part of the apparent molestation of Corey Haim one of the first times this happens with an agent like so these young young boys being with these kind of like you know 20 somethings in this like you know just heavily like intense apparently 20 alex winter described as like almost like a 24 7 party the entire time um they were filming this movie like in the hotel and um like i think it's different now but it's like this is this is the movie that kind of like really in a lot of ways like harms Feldman and Haim like and starts him down a pathway that you know we end up like hearing about today like through interviews with Feldman now um where he talks about like you know the all those kind of like awful things that were going on um and so yeah go ahead sorry so let me ask this question then so this is maybe the opposite of a point we made like like 30 some minutes ago is Mm -hmm. that 
where the culture and the technological state of this time led us to have this almost like collective unconscious uh i don't mm-hmm. know like come to jesus moment with each other where we all have this shared experience of this thing sure this is the other side of that where with more technology and more like social awareness probably less likely that you have that kind of environment exist probably you know if like if if everyone has a mobile device that connects to multiple social media platforms you know not to say the bad things don't happen now or that there's not danger for like you know the corruption and abuse of the innocent by like you know scumbags but immediately like everyone would know what was happening there and it would stop like they wouldn't be able to do it and people sure the 13 year old nowadays would probably be posting shit like consistently like they would be on tiktok like posting videos like every couple hours like there's no there's no privacy anymore um for for those things to be allowed to happen especially with somebody who is especially with somebody who's popular you know like or well-known um so yeah like no uh, you're absolutely right i mean madison cawthorn would be there reporting on the cocaine orgies (laughs) yes uh all right i could probably talk about little things about this movie for another hour but um i'm going to end this podcast by asking what are you eating frank i want to know let's talk about food old trapper original deli style beef sticks beef sticks okay like they're fucking what, delicious they were on beef, sale at food line is a beef stick like a slim jim like i don't know what is that a beef yeah stick? Yeah, yeah yeah it's a slim okay jim. all right but they're um they're less processed than slim jims like it's 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 basically just like a bougie like upgrade to a slim jim okay all right but i didn't eat breakfast this morning and i had a really light lunch and then as we discussed before the podcast began i spilled my fucking pho all over the place today like a grenade of broth goodness and i am so fucking hungry and i just wanted to eat some beef sticks so i apologize uh and bougie beef sticks is some high class shit frank I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a classy dude man you are all right okay well we'll end it there um talking about the lost boys uh maybe someday like it shows up again somewhere on a list but like i said we i didn't see it any time in the near future probably coming up because i know frank's feelings about vampire movies yeah. let me, so let me let, let me do this real quick then yeah if you like the lost boys i would recommend that you watch the hunger you watch near dark um check out uh let the right one in or let me in either one like they're mm-hmm. both good movies mm-hmm. um and honestly like as cheesy as they are give a chance to the blade movies especially the first one because it's at least like an interesting take on vampires and the hunting of vampires um i mean i like some i just i don't know i think most vampire movies are just lazy it's like yeah, exorcism. i tend to agree with you know you. what i mean like you see one fucking exorcism movie you pretty much seen them all outside of like a few examples to the contrary of that in the genre but most of them it's just saying like, eh, that bitch climbing on the wall whatever 
right? Eh, that guy me. got his that guy got his cape and he's biting some virgin's neck. Meh, fuck it. See, you can feel that way about certain genres of movies, but it's like you know, I can't feel that way about video games sometimes. Um, and you can feel however you want, buddy. I I, I know, but it's like you, you, I I completely understand where you're coming from with the vampire I'm, movies. I'm like, sure the there's exorcism movies and all that kind of stuff. Like I'm sure there's some pale ass milk baby neck beard sitting out there with a cape and a fucking cravat that's like clutching his his red brooch and horror at the fact that like i'm i shit on vampire movies so yeah it's whatever right he's probably probably drinking tomato juice here's another funny thing too the comic preacher do you know Mm -hmm. do you know preacher preacher Preacher, for those who are unfamiliar preacher was uh alternative like horror comic from the 90s um that involved a man that had basically the voice of god one of his companions was a vampire named cassidy who was irish Mm -hmm. and there is a hilarious issue where he falls in with a group of people that worship vampires and want him to turn them into vampires and he basically just like destroys them all Mm -hmm. like sucks all their blood and it's um it's it's really well written really funny and perfectly illustrates i think maybe is the genesis point of my disdain for people that like, yeah. yeah people that like you know like romanticize vampires to a degree well, not only that yeah. but i got taken to a larping event once where they were playing <laughs> vampire the masquerade mm-hmm. and people were like running around pretending to be vampires and it was very off-putting so right that makes sense all right so thank you for listening everybody um hope you enjoyed it and uh we'll get this down where we start doing deep dives uh at some point here in the next probably uh six months you can expect willow um to be another deep dive of ours Mm, so yeah thank you for listening everybody have a good night deuces